Hello, everyone. Today's podcast episode is Amy Lang. Amy is a sexuality educator, and she helps parents become their kids' go-to birds and the bees expert. Amy started her company, birdandbeesandkids.com, back in 2006, when she took her years of sexual health education and her master's degree in adult education to create her brand. In today's episode, we answer many of your questions when it comes to talking about sex and sexuality with our kids. I found this episode to be really helpful and I hope that you do too. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode. This podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Today's episode is sponsored by Wellaments. I have worked alongside this brand for quite a few years now and can attest to the high quality and efficacy of their products. All of their products are certified organic, preservative-free, and bottled in glass. Their products range from daily vitamin and mineral supplements to products to help with tummy troubles, teething, and the sniffles. Personally, we have loved their vitamin D drops for our infants, their tooth oil, and cough medicine. They are actively building out their children's line and they just launched immune support, elderberry and multivitamin gummies, and probiotic stick packs. If you are looking for a great gift for a mother-to-be, their O Baby Bundle would be perfect. It includes all of their best-selling newborn products, including grape water, vitamin D drops, chest and foot rub, and more. You can use the code MOTHERHOODMEETSMEDICINE for 20% off at checkout. You can find all of these details in the show notes as well. Today's show is also sponsored by Sarah Belly. Sarah Belly was founded by neurosurgeon Teresa Persner. You can hear all about the story that inspired the brand within the episode we recorded together about six months ago. After becoming a neurosurgeon, Teresa went back to school to earn her PhD in developmental neurobiology at Stanford. After having her three children, she was having a hard time finding baby food that focused on the proper nutrients needed for the developing brain. And thus, Cerebelli was born. Did you know that 80% of a baby's brain is fully developed by the age of three? Cerebelli is the only brand of organic purees that provide 16 key brain supporting nutrients. Let your baby explore veggie first, clean label project certified flavors with no added sugar and spoonfuls of nutrients with Cerebelli. Parenting is an art, Cerebelli is science. And you know how much I love science. My kids also enjoy their smart bars, which are great for a quick nutrient packed snack for on the go. Today's listeners can get up to 35% off your first order of Cerebelli with code Lindsay20, that's L-Y, NZY20 plus an additional 15% off when you subscribe and save. Let's get back to the episode. Hello, Amy. It's a pleasure to have you on with us today to talk about the birds and the bees. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. It sounds like you got a lot of questions. (laughs) Yes. So as we were discussing right before we came on here, I was telling you how I think that's, this is probably, you won for most questions that I think I've received about any podcast topic. <laughs> so, Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So I think the best way to start this would be to talk first, I think, about a timeline, because I think the biggest question for parents is, 
when do I start talking about this? Do I wait until there's curiosity from my children? Do I start by, you know, introducing it in a way that's like through literature? Like I, I can get a couple of books and talk to them that way. Am I exploring, you know, talking to them about their bodies first and then later on talking about the actual birds and the bees, things like that? Like what's the setup timeline that you have as a suggestion for parents when they want to start exploring this topic? Well, the very, very first sex talk is using the correct names for their private body parts. So that starts at birth, ideally. And yeah, it doesn't, it's not sex, sex, but it's clearly a big part of sex eventually. So making sure you're using the correct name for private body parts, that's the place to start. And then talking about boundaries, body boundaries, and that kind of thing. But those are the beginning pieces. They kind of set the stage for when you get down to the actual, you know, baby making parts of things. So rule of thumb, and this is probably going to sound early to lots of people, but there's good reason for it. The time to let the cat out of the bag about the usual way babies are made and then the other ways babies are made is when kids are about five. Okay. And five is young, but the reason five is the best time or the ideal time, I should say, is because kids at that age are super curious. They're really open-minded. They don't know there's anything yucky, bad, embarrassing, or shameful about sex. They don't know there's anything amazing about it. They just come to it like they come to any other, any other topic. And it's really easier for you to capitalize on that, on their, I'm going to say innocence, but really it's more like their lack of knowledge. And because I don't believe that people, like one of the worries is that kids' innocence in air quotes will be ruined if parents say, hey, this is the way babies mm. are made. People have sex for fun because it feels good to their grown up bodies, that somehow that's going to mess them up. And, you know, I don't need to tell you, it's the opposite that messes yeah. up. <laughs> So ideally get the baby making thing out of the way, the penis and vagina thing out of the way by the time they are seven, ideally before. And then, you know, then you, you're going to keep talking about different kinds of families and gender and then talking about puberty. By the time they're eight, they need to know that puberty is going to happen. They should know what's going to happen to male bodies, female, female bodies. They should have a real good understanding about that puberty before it happens. And then when they get to be eight, nine, ten, nine, ten, eleven, you can really start to have more deeper conversations, broader topics. So talking, talking about sexual consent, talking about pleasure, they should know about birth control. They should know that when people have penis and vagina sex, that 99.999% of the time they're actively trying not to make babies. You know, talking about, you know, friendships and healthy relationships and consent and, by the time they start middle school, uh, they should know the basics of pretty much everything. Note, I said basics. Yeah. You're not the Kama Sutra for your kids. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to touch a little bit on what can happen if, I mean, obviously there's a lot of different things that can happen, but when when a child does not know any of these things before they enter, say, middle school or like junior high? Like what can, you know, obviously, like, I feel like those types of kids kind of get wrapped up into all of this like hearsay and might hear things that either, you know, aren't true and may not come to you or what have you. But do you have any like examples of that? Oh, yeah. 
I got a lot. So (laughs) the thing is that one of the reasons to start these conversations sooner rather than later is that it establishes this as as a part of your family life. Like This is how y'all roll. We talk about this and they see you as their go-to person. And that is a real gift you can give to your kids. Like it might feel uncomfortable to you, but at the end of the day, it's better for them. So kids who aren't sex educated are at risk for obviously things like STIs and unplanned pregnancy and, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places and having harder relationships and not being able to understand the concepts of consent, how that goes both ways. And they tend to be just have, you know, worse sexual health outcomes. And, you know, we don't want that. And they'll be learning, frankly, from pornography and their peers. That's That'll be their main source of information. Unfortunately, as kids get older, when they hit high school, their peers have a ton of influence over their sexual decision making. Until they are about 13 or so, we are the most powerful influence. And, you know, one of my beliefs is that if you're capable and willing, and you really do a bang up job of of sex educating your child, then your kid is going to have all the right kind of information, fact-based, you know, coupled with your values. Then when they're with kids who don't have parents who are as terrific as you are, they'll be sex educators for their peers. And I think that's a good thing because not every parent, not every family is capable of, of having the kinds of conversations and the depth of conversation that kids need. Yeah. Now you had mentioned, and I know this is kind of like coming off of our topic here, but it, it reminded me of this question. So uh, with this issue with phones and social media and, and what have you, and I feel like kids have these things way sooner than they should. But regardless of what we do with our own children, I think the exposure to por- pornography is is pretty huge. And I don't know like statistics, like, you know, exactly when the average age is that kids are seeing these things. But, you know, you hear all these stories. They see it on the bus. They see it after school. They'll see it at their friend's house. And this is regardless of how incredibly cognizant you are of your own children. And if they have a phone and their phone usage and things like that, they just find it, you know. But do you have a suggestion as to when we talk to our kids specifically about pornography and, you know, how to broach that subject? Oh, yeah. This is half my work. I wish it was 2001. (laughs) Yeah, I know. This wouldn't be happening the way it is. Um, So first of all, one of the things that is that makes having sex talks with kids sooner rather than later so important is that it is actually helps them manage when they do see porn, they will see it the average age of exposure is nine. It's Um, oh my gosh, what? Yeah, I know. Well, if you think of it, just do the math. Here, let's do the math, shall we? Oh, Amy, I don't know. Do I want to? <laughs> yeah, you do. Oh my god. Okay. You do, because I mean, <sighs> this. I mean, I'm going to get pissy and maybe a little mad, and there might be yeah. some swears. Oh, you can do that here. Safe place. Thank you. <laughs> I just actually just taught a class this morning, and I spelled S H I T instead of saying it, which was close <laughs> to not saying it. <laughs> so uh, here's the deal. Imagine that you are a curious nine-year-old, and you've heard this word sex, and then there is this magical thing called the Google, and you can put anything in there and get an answer. Imagine that you want to see what penises look like because you don't have one, and you magically can put the word penis in. And Mm -hmm. so it happens innocently and it happens because parents don't believe it's going to happen. And if (laughs) I had had the internet, oh my God, 
I know. Oh my God. I don't even want to think about what would have what where I would have landed. I will absolutely make sure you have resources for this and because you have to use monitoring and filtering. Mm-hmm. And it's not mm-hmm. optional. It's the seatbelt of, of the internet. It is the only thing that you, aside from sex talks and talking about it and telling them what it is and what to do when they see it, it's the only thing you can do to keep them the the safest from being exposed, but they're going to be exposed in all the places you said, in all the places you said. So yeah, bummer, bummer news. But the good news is we know that kids who have families and parents and caregivers who are talking to them about pornography, talking to them about sex, making sure that they understand about healthy sexuality. When those kids see the porn, they are more likely to stop watching. They're more likely to tell you if they've seen it, want your kids to tell you. And if you need to tell your kids that if they see it, they will not be in trouble. If they do, and they need to let you know, you need to make sure they're okay and safe because it can be pretty gross. That's a really not the right word for it. (laughs) (laughs) It can be a lot. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't want to, I don't want, you know, I I don't want you to be like, I don't know. I mean, I just really want you to just listen to me because you, I mean, you have to have monitoring and filtering and just kind of winging it is just not, it's just not enough. And, you know, it's our job to protect our kids and to keep them healthy and safe. And if you're willing to hand your 10 year old a phone and say, I trust you, don't go look at bad things and then not, you know, monitor where they're going and make sure that they're being safe online and talking about it. It's just not okay. It's just not okay. And again, I wish it was like 2001 because I wouldn't be saying this 16 years ago when I started doing this work, I talked about porn now and again, just occasionally because people would ask about it. But now I have every single time I do any kind of Isn't that crazy. About it. Yeah. Yeah. And it hijacks the conversation. So yeah, sorry, hijacked it. (laughs) It's a thing. And so, you know, please take me seriously. I could tell you horror story after horror story after horror story. And these kids are kids from families just like yours, just like yours. It doesn't. Anyway, so sorry, but thank you for asking. And, (laughs) you know, I mean, there's more to talk about though, right? I mean, you know, one of yeah. the things is that we're having this conversation about porn, which is really a, it's a Debbie downer. Sorry, Debbie's out there. It's a total downer. And the thing we need to remember for our kids is we need to, you know, let's kind of let that go. But we need to remember that if that sexuality is a really cool part of being human, there's a ton of good stuff about being a sexual person that it really can be a positive part of life. It's going to take some work because most of us did not get that message, but you have this really cool opportunity to talk with your kids about this in a way that leaves them feeling good about it. Good about themselves as a sexual person, good about understanding what a healthy relationship looks like, good about spotting unhealthy relationship behaviors. And also honestly good about talking to you when they have questions and also listening to you, which, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why don't we talk a little, we'll get off the porn thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> why don't we talk a little bit about, you know, when children start to explore their bodies, how we should be talking to them about that, like what's appropriate, what's inappropriate and that sort of thing. 
Sounds good. Sounds good. So our bodies are wired up for pleasure from the get-go. Baby people with penises hang on to their tallywhackers in utero. Little people with clitorises, they can find those really, really early on. The clitoris's only job is pleasure, by the way. So if you have one, congratulations. <laughs> so they, it feels good to touch private parts. And with young kids, they figure that out and they don't have any boundaries about it. And they're like, I'm bored hand down the pants before they go to sleep. You can usually predict when they're going to be, I call it self-pleasure or self-stimulating. I don't call that masturbation because it's such a grown-up-y word and it's not really what's going on. For little people, it just feels good. Mm-hmm. They've had a long day. Calms them down. They're sleepy. And it's just to help them self-soothe or, or to have that good feeling. And it's very typical behavior. We expect to see it in early childhood. We expect to see it lifelong. Mm-hmm. Everybody, pretty much everybody touches their privates for fun. Pretty much everybody, all through the ages. So establishing, you know, if your kiddo's doing that, just being really kind and saying, hey, yeah, I know it feels good to touch your, your, your clitoris, your penis, but that's something people do in private. And so you can do that in your room by yourself, go to town. And then a little like, and it's not okay for anyone else to, t- to, to touch your privates like that. That's just for you only. And then you're establishing a boundary, right? And you're also establishing that you're super chill about that. And then as they get older, talking about, you know, hey, it's perfectly normal to, ma- there's this thing called masturbating. It's when you touch your privates because it feels good and, you know, something really healthy to do. It helps you know your own body later on when you're going to be doing some sexual stuff with people, then that's part of understanding what feels good to you when you have sex and that sort of thing. And depending on how old they are, they'll be like trying not to throw up and yelling at you and all kinds of things. <laughs> And, you know, we don't want them to feel shame, right? I mean, a whole lot of us had a lot of shame about doing that, about frequency, about all kinds of, of kinds of things when the reality is, especially for people with clitorises, our bodies are a little kind of a sort of a mystery, not really, but it's better your, your, your gal will have better sex if she understands what makes her tick. And, you know, again, you're not the Kama Sutra, right? Like you don't say to your son, well, 12 year old, it's time for you to start masturbating. You're probably going to want to do this. So here you go. This is how you do it. No, that is <laughs> these no are the things you need. Yeah. I'll set you up with some lotion and Kleenex, <laughs> but we're not talking about it. So yeah, thanks for asking that. I think it's something that's really confusing for parents, especially parents of young kids. It means nothing is wrong. It means that they just figured out it feels good to touch their junk. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Nothing more than that. You must have, I'm sure you do, a a list of, do you recommend, I mean, obviously talking to our kids is the most important, but on top of that, I do find that sometimes finding books that will cover the subject that we want to head into is sometimes fun to break the ice, you know, leading into that conversation or what have you. Do you have like a list of books that you suggest for different age appropriate ranges. Yeah, I do. There's a ton of books on my website, which is birdsandbeesandkids.com. There is a whole age by age bookstore and books are your best friend. They're, you know, you're already reading to your kids. They're a normal part of your family life. And you can just, I love the Roby Harris series. And there's another book called the everybody book, which is for a little bit older kids. And you just like get, it's so amazing. And you throw it in with a regular nightly reading and you're like, Oh, Hey, here's a book of a called. It's so amazing. It's about bodies, boundaries, families, and babies. Let's read it. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> they're like, mm. <laughs> and you're like a little sweaty, upper lipped, and they don't know, they don't care. <laughs> and so you just jump right into it. So there are lots mm-hmm. of books there. They're good books about consent and boundaries. The Everybody book is pretty new. I don't even. Well, it might be a year old. It might be two years old because 2020 and 2021 were actually one year together. It's really great because it's an LGBTQ kid focus. So it talks about puberty and it's got this really great lens. So I highly recommend that. And yeah, books are your total pal. And then the door is kicked open and you can talk about anything in the book. You can use it to like sneak in it and like, all right, we're going to talk about tampons, like whatever. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I know. I... (laughs) So we have a an eight year old, a six year old, a four year old, and a one year old. And my eight year old, you know, she's like, "Mom, like, why do you shave your armpit? Why do you do all these things?" You know. And I'm like, "All right, this is time to start talking about puberty stuff, isn't it?" <laughs> yeah. So I I typically read to all of my kids, you know, at once. Obviously, I could pick a book here and there that would just be specific to each child and read to them separately. But ideally, I'd be reading to all of them at once. I mean, is that okay to be reading? Yeah, to like, I mean, I think my four year old probably be totally ignoring me anyway. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's so amazing is perfect for your your top three kids, Mm -hmm. Um, the four year olds. (laughs) So the four-year-old may become obsessed and want to read the book over and over and over again. You know how they do that. So this is one of those books. And that's fine. They're going to they're gonna understand as much as they're going to understand. Your other two kids, you know, the same thing. They're going to get as much as they're going to get. This is why we read and then we have conversations. But yeah, if your kids are, like the book It's So Amazing is great for anybody who's like not like nine and under. So, but one caveat is that if you have a, like your eight-year-old and your four-year-old, yeah, that's fine. That age, that kind of age gap, the four-year-old's not going to get too much out of it. When you're eight-year-old, when you have a 12-year-old and a kid that's four years younger, sorry, mm-hmm, <laughs> can, mm-hmm. you, can you see me doing the little math there? Um, <laughs> it is then, late, you know. It was, it yeah, kind of. It's only I 5.30 mean, for me. Oh, um, oh, well, maybe not for you, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've not had a long day. Anyway, okay. I don't have that many children. So, you know, and mine's out of the nest. So there's that. Anyway, so with a, you wouldn't want to have conversations with a 12 year old and eight year, some things with a 12 year old and the eight year old, but generally speaking, you're going to have separate conversations. So the kind of rule of thumb is that if the, like a three year, three full year age difference, you should have kind of a, like a secret code with that older kid. So if they come home and say, Hey mom, what's a BJ? And it's in front of the six-year-old. You can say, excellent question. Let's talk about it over a cup of tea. And the cup of tea is code that that you're saying, zip it, not in front of your sibling. I'll talk to you later. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. they like that. They like to have a secret code. And then you know what happens? They talk to each other. And it's fine. It's fine. Just make sure the older kiddo knows to let you know if their younger sibling comes and says something like, hey, what's a BJ? Just say, you need to let me know so I can make sure everything's cool. And, you know, we're just going to circle back to the porn conversation because a lot of that kind of information is coming, yes, from their peers, but the peers are oftentimes getting it from sexualized media. Right, right. Now, you, I'm sure you know more than I do about this, but I mean, are most schools in the U.S. required to have some sort of sexual education within their school system or are we not there yet? 
Well, they are. It's a state by state thing. Depending on where you live, the sex education is going to be pretty crappy. So if you're in Mississippi, Alabama, in the South, Texas, it's pretty terrible. It's still, it might just be puberty. It might be abstinence only based, even though they're not supposed to be teaching that. And so it can be kind of terrible. And in states like I'm in Washington state, we had just instituted comprehensive sexuality education from kindergarten all the way through high school. Oh, wow. And yeah, I think there are 13 states that are doing that. And if parents lose their shit because they, I don't understand because they think they're teaching kindergartners about blowjobs. Oh my gosh. Of course they're not. This is like age appropriate, like education. They don't get down and dirty with sex. Like, reproductive <sighs> sex until I think they're in fourth grade or fifth grade. And so it's been a buildup talking about boundaries and consent and bodies and That's families. Wonderful. And, yeah, it's like, great. it's ugh. great. And it's not, you know, it isn't inappropriate. It's all based in really good research that shows what works for kids. And, you know, and when families opt their kids out of that, they're just doing them a disservice. And even if you live in a state where the where the sex ed is total crap, let your kids do it because A, it'll be entertaining when you talk about it. And B, your your child will feel uh, empowered, right, to have this information. And yeah. and it's just, you know, a conversation point. Abstinence does not work. It does not work. It has never worked. I it mean, when worked. has anything like that ever worked when you told somebody you can't, don't do this? Like can't do this ever until you're right. you know such and such an age. Like I don't think that's worked ever for any reason. Right. <laughs> right? Never mind sex, but anything at all. Right. Anything exactly. So and yeah. and then with sex, right? It's our, our bodies are saying please, please, please. Right. I want to do this. I want to do this. And their brain, our brains aren't. You know, when we're in adolescence, the brain isn't fully developed, so they can't do if then thinking very well. So they've got these raging hormones. Sounds like a good idea. So even when it doesn't sound like a good idea, unfortunately. So they end up Mm -hmm. doing sexual stuff and they're not necessarily ready for it. I mean, I don't think anybody's really ready for Mm -hmm. sexual stuff, but to be prepared, like be prepared somehow. I'm just circling back to the sex ed piece. It it is your child should be the smartest kid in the room. Your Mm -hmm. child should already know what's a coming when they get to that. It usually starts in fifth grade. When Milo had, you know, sex ed in spring of, it's always in the spring and the spring of fifth grade. (laughs) I, of course, was like chomping at the bit. I was dying to know how it was going. So I waited a few days and we're walking home from school. And I said, so how's the sex ed thing? And he says, oh, mama, the questions these kids have. And he's just shaking his head. And I said, must feel, feels pretty good to kind of know this stuff already. And he's like, yeah. And he gets all puffed up. And then I said, what kinds of questions do they had? And he said, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> So, you know, you know, off the handle questions, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. 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 So, yeah, you know, don't worry about the sex education. Don't rely on it. Think about it as supplemental to what you're doing at home. Think about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Today's episode is sponsored by Navy Hair Care. I have been working with Navy Hair Care since they launched back in 2018. At that time, I was about a year postpartum with our third child, and my hair was experiencing some trouble after some significant postpartum hair loss. Navy really helped to strengthen my hair, and I noticed a big difference about one to two months after using it regularly. 
with biotin, vitamins, and rosemary oil. This shampoo and conditioner combo has been part of my daily routine for years now. I also use the charcoal mask every one to two weeks to help revitalize my hair. It helps to dry out toxins, heavy metals, and impurities, which we have plenty of since we have well water. This mask will leave your hair feeling incredibly soft and lightweight. You can use the code Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y, for 30% off your order, and I will leave the links to the products I mentioned within the show notes. All right. Okay. What do you think? I have a lot of questions for you. Do you want to add anything to this first half of our Um, talk or do you want, you think we're ready? Let me just add this one thing that, you know, part of, part of having conversations with our kid about kids about sex requires us to do a couple of things. I think it requires us to take a look at how we learned and the impact of that or how we didn't learn and the impact of that. Uh, Also, it's really important to think about your values about sexuality. And, you know, even if your kids are little, you really do need to think about, you know, when my kiddo has their first girlfriend, boyfriend, or whatever, or serious boyfriend or girlfriend, am I going to allow that child, that kiddo to spend the night in my house? Mm -hmm. You know, stuff like that. What am I going to do about dating? What are our family values about dating? How are we going to handle this, that, and the other thing? So talking about that kind of later down the line stuff is really important to helping you figure out what you want to do now. So that's just, we didn't talk about that very much, but it's really fundamental. It's really fundamental to feeling comfortable, confident, and being able to have these conversations. So I'll just say that. Yes. Now, and I know, you know, there's probably parents listening to this like, oh, this makes me super uncomfortable. Like, what can I do to make this less painful as a parent to be talking to my kid about these types of things if they're feeling uncomfortable? Do you have any suggestions for that? Yeah, practicing. Mm -hmm. So it's not cheating to drive around in your car and say, so this is how babies made penis, vagina, sperm, egg, uterus, blah, blah, blah. And just say the words. And so you hear yourself saying them. It's not cheating to do that. It's also not cheating to be scripted. I'm just finishing up my newest book. It's called Sex Sex Talks with Tweens. And it's all script. So grabbing a script about periods and kind of memorizing it and out of your mouth, that helps starting with something that feels low stakes and practicing and seeing what happens. And you know, you don't have to talk about sex 24 seven. And you can start with a little bit about puberty, but you have this great opportunity, you're doing your shaving and stuff. And your daughter's like, what's happening? It's like, well, there's this thing called puberty and you can watch, right? So just hearing the words come out of your mouth, reading a book and seeing that nobody dies or throws up, it's pretty good. Deep breathing, knowing that you're not going to do it perfectly, telling your kids you're uncomfortable. It's fine to say that. I'm, com- I'm uncomfortable. My parents never talked to me about this, so I don't quite know what I'm doing, but here we go, right? Yeah. So it's really practice and learning yourself about how to have these conversations, what they should look like, because our time right now ain't going to do the trick, right? Oh, yeah. So, but yeah. just get, you, get a lot of fire under your butt. Anyway. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, good question. Are there any specific curriculums that you know of for parents that is more conservative and not Christian based? Mm, That's a really good question. Actually, the curriculum that I love really the most is called Our Whole Lives, and it's from the United Church of Christ and the Unitarian Church. So yes, it's Christian, but super liberal Christian, and it's 
wonderful and they have secular versions of it. And, you know, the thing about the Our Whole Lives curriculum is that it is very open and they understand that not everybody is going to be as comfortable with their openness. So they know that and it's really, really good. Being conservative, that's your values, but having fact-based information that's going to help your kids do better in the long run is really, really important. And talking about your values, like if you believe that people should wait until they have sex, that is wait till they're married until they have sex. That is a great value, but you need to talk about why it is. Why is marriage the goal? Why does waiting until marriage make sense? What What is the goal behind that? Because as you know, if you say just wait, it just does not work. So I don't, I mean, I'm pretty, you know, I'm, you can hear I'm really liberal, but you know, the conservative piece that is, those are your values. And frankly, oftentimes our, cons- the, if the things we feel conservative about don't serve our kids. Mm-hmm. They don't serve our kids because at the end of the day, if you were raised in a conservative family, you know exactly what went down for you. And if you trade, teach your kids the same way, they're going to have exactly the same experience. And frankly, it'll be worse because of pornography and social media and the way our world is now. So not to get down on you for having conservative values, but when it comes to sexuality, it does not serve our kids, but you can still talk about your hopes, your beliefs and all of that and cross your fingers. At the end of the day, nobody wants an unplanned pregnancy. Right. Right. And that's kind of the biggest thing, biggest outcome. And also one more thing about this. If you have a kid that's LGBTQ and you are not down for that, those kids have the highest suicide rates of all adolescents. And the number one thing that keeps them on par with their cisgender and straight peers is parental support. And if you think that being gay or something other than cisgender is a problem and your child already knows that, then you are putting them at risk and your child is gay and you're putting them at risk, which sucks, right? But that's the fact, this fact of the matter, like science studies, all that. So not to get down on you too much, I would look at the Our Whole Lives curriculum. It's really, really good. And United Church of Christ and Unitarian Church teaches that. Oftentimes they, they have those programs if you're near those churches. But yeah, I'm not going to point you to a conservative. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that was, yeah, perfect. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I talked a lot about that. No, no. I I, I thought that was really important. Okay. I, I, I We already touched on this, but I, <laughs> I kind of just want to hear you drive the... the point home, because this is kind of the whole point of what you're saying. So my daughter asked me when she was nine, what sex was. I froze and didn't tell her. Did I blow my opportunity to discuss this? Also, is she too young? Great question. So A, no, you did not blow your opportunity. And B, yay, she asked most kids don't ask and they don't ask soon enough. So, you know, she's curious, you know, she wants to know. So this is such good news. And what I would do is I would get a book and I would go back to her and say, all right, you asked me what sex is. I was really surprised. I didn't answer your question. I'm really sorry about that. And I was just uncomfortable. And, you know, my family didn't talk with me about this. So we're going to do it. Not that. Not it, it. We're going to have the conversation. I got you this great book. Let's read it. And then you're, you're off and running. You can always repair. Mm-hmm. You can always repair. And when you go back and say, I blew it. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Here we go. They're going to lean into you. They're going to see your modeling, what you do when you make a mistake. And then they're going to be way more likely to trust you and come to you later. Mm-hmm. Yes. How to start. 
even just introducing the correct names is a huge struggle for me. So I know we kind of talked about this where parents not feel comfortable, but what would you suggest for even this parent who's like, I don't even like talking about the correct names? (laughs) Like, where do you go from there? Yeah, I mean, that's hard. You know, I kind of feel a little bit like an asshole because I came down so hard on the person asking about the conservative sex education curriculum. But I do want to say this, this is hard. And for folks who are really uncomfortable for any number of reasons, it's hard. And, you know, not being able to say the word penis and any kind of comfort, that's tough because, you know, we know it's so important for them to know those correct names for their private body parts. So what I would do if I were you, when you are alone, I would penis, 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 vulva, 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 nipples, nipples, nipples. <laughs> Can you imagine someone head. seeing you doing this in the mirror? <laughs> yeah, I'm, doing my car. I'm just driving along. Yeah, yeah. Uh, driving along. And say the words a lot. And then they'll feel comfortable in your mouth. And then so you get that's one little step ahead. And then get a book and maybe a book that's just anatomy. And so then you can go through and say, that's your navel. Those are your knees. That's the clitoris. That's a shoe, you know, that's yeah. a foot. So yeah. you can use the book and say the words and then maybe just pick one part. So if you have a person with a penis and they're getting ready for a bath and you could, you, you know, one thing you can say is, you know what? We've been calling that your tinkle waggle. It's my favorite. Um, we've been I've that never even tinkle- heard that. I know it's my favorite two in a row, two talks in a row. When I asked them slang for private parts, they both said that. What? And I was like, marry me babies. Uh, it's, I think it's Southern. <laughs> it's oh my gosh. That is hysterical. Anyway, and then you just say, you know, we've been calling that your tinkle waggle. And actually it's real name is it's called a penis. And most boys have penises. Like, you know, if you have a daddy in your life, like daddy has a penis. And then if you're comfortable, you can say, and women and girls have vulvas. So male bodies have penises, female bodies have vulvas and vaginas. Just do the penis thing. And you will be so surprised that they, nothing happens. They'll say, oh, huh. Okay. Right? Sounds Depending good. Depending on how old they are. Or if they're 10, they're going to be like, Jesus woman. <laughs> So again, we're going to come kind of come back to books. And then I'm a big fan of rewards. And so if you can plan like the next time your kid is naked in front of you, you're going to pick the one thing that's called your vulva. That's called your vagina, not vagina. Vaginas are inside. Can't see vulvas outside. That's, that's a correct term because you can see the vulva. All right. So if you do the penis, if you say penis or vulva, then you get a reward, whatever. It's chocolate. It's whatever. Give yourself a reward and it will help encourage you to, to keep going. The other thing you can do, somebody just taught me this. I didn't know, think I didn't really know about this, but give yourself a high five in the mirror. When you do it, just the act of giving a high five actually bumps up our dopamine and makes us feel really good. So just give yourself a high five in the mirror and give yourself that reward and then you'll feel better and better. And, you know, the last thing about this is that kids know the correct names for their private body parts. They're safer from sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Those guys look for people. They look for kids whose parents aren't talking with them openly about sexuality or their bodies. Mm-hmm. So if you're at Thanksgiving dinner and your kiddo says, you know, in the loudest voice in the history of mankind, mama, my penis itches. That uncle creepy that might be at the table. And I know there are aunt creepies as well. will hear that. And they'll think, oh, not going to mess with that kid because someone's talking to him. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually did an episode on consent specifically. Mm -hmm. And this is like a huge just talking to your kids about sexuality and sex early on will prevent them from possible, you know, sexual abuse down the road. Yeah, I mean, huge. That really reduces. So maybe that's inspiration, right? For you Mm -hmm. to do this. And you can say, I'm uncomfortable. I didn't use these words when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. All right, perfect. Okay, so let's see here. What do I say when my five-year-old starts asking, how did the sperm get to the egg? I guess my question would be, how did he even know that? (laughs) Well, yeah, actually, my guess is that they said something about, yeah, sperm and egg get together. Yeah, 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 yeah. And blah, 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 blah. So you just say, thanks for asking. And that's a great question. So here's what usually happens, right? Not everybody gets pregnant from the penis in the vagina. The person with the penis puts their penis inside the person with the vaginas in their vagina. They agree to do this. It feels good to their grown up bodies. It's not for kids. And it's called having sex or sexual intercourse. And the sperm comes out of the man's penis or out of the penis and goes and finds the egg and fertilization and blah, blah. Mm -hmm. This is why books. Yes. This is why books. Yes. And yeah, I mean, and of course he's wondering how that happens, right? Yeah. And then in your, and then you also need to explain the other ways people get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And in your family, if it wasn't a penis in the vagina, if you have two penises in your family, it kind of makes it hard. Or you had trouble getting pregnant the typical way, then talk about how did you get pregnant? How did they come to be? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is something that I think people, parents can feel weird about, but we're the ones with the weirdness. Our kids don't think there's anything weird about that. It's just cool, right? Because if you went through a lot of trouble getting pregnant and then finally you got pregnant, they don't know that that was a trauma. Right. Right. So don't put your trauma on your kids. Just rule of thumb. <laughs> Not yeah. just this. <laughs> yes. As a general whole. Let's see. How do I explain to my six-year-old daughter that boys can spend summer without shirts on, but she cannot? That's a really good question. Ugh, because no. it's, I mean, I remember my kids even asking this question. Like, why does he get to walk around with his shirt off? You know? Welcome to our puritanical conservative culture, (laughs) sexism, misogyny, patriarchy. Okay. I just went over the top there with that. Um, (laughs) Well, that's because in our culture, we see uh, girls and women's bodies as something that's shameful and should be hidden. Mm -hmm. Right? So you're not going to say that exactly to your child. (laughs) Rewind. Yeah. Yeah. say patriarchy and I'm sorry, what? Okay. (laughs) So what I would say is that for some stupid reason, people feel uncomfortable when they see a girl without a shirt on, you know, it's some kind of cultural thing. And, you know, I don't feel uncomfortable when I see you with your brother and your friends out there with no shirts on, it's completely fine with me. And so people feel uncomfortable when girl, when you know, girls have their shirts off when they're over a certain age. So we don't want people to feel uncomfortable it's super stupid, but that's kind of why it's like a mm-hmm. social thing. And you can dumb that down for your little people. And it's stupid, right? Little girls should be able to be shirtless as much as they want. It's not like we're sexualizing them and we do that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I totally right. agree. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I was going to say something awful, but I won't say it. Yeah. We're sexualizing them. And you can't say that to your, you can't say, well, you know, it's because people are sexualizing you at eight years old. Isn't that, you know, 
then there's nothing sexual about an eight-year-old. So Mm -hmm. um, I would do that. And then in your own family, you know, she wants to be shirtless, let her be shirtless when it's just your family together. Yeah. Because, you know, there's teaching, we just have body shame right out the bag. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right out the bag, right out the door. Yeah. I remember we, uh, we were in, we've taken a few trips over to Europe, like just like we always try to do one large trip internationally to kind of introduce the kids to new cultures and languages and all of that. And so we were in, where was it? It was in Austria and we were at a, a smaller like family hotel mm-hmm. and there was a family there that was, and this was like a family hotel. Like there was a, you know, a kid's club and all of that there. And, you know, at the pool, there was a family, they're all completely naked. And my kids mm-hmm. were like, wait, what? And I was like, oh yeah, you know, in specific countries and, you know, not in the US typically, but in, in other countries, you know, people walk around at the beach, at the pool naked. They don't, they don't wear a bathing suit. They don't wear a bathrobe, you know, that that's, that's comfortable for them. That's not something that they feel comfortable in their own skin. They don't, they don't need to put clothes on. And it doesn't seem strange to anybody else because it's the way that everybody typically lives. And if they didn't, they would just put a suit on and no one you know, looks the other way. Same when we were in Portugal, you know, there was a lot of topless women, you know, and Mm -hmm. same thing. I'm just like, well, you know, in, in this culture, they don't, but yeah, I mean, so my kids have already kind of seen that and kind of heard it, you know, I mean, they're younger, but I'm not sure if they'll remember it, but it is a weird thing do over here, right? Like, what is that all about? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just shame and sexism and yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll quit saying that. Yeah. I'm just joking. No, um, you can. It's and, what it is, right? It, it's, it's what it is. And so, you know, that makes it hard on everybody at the end of the day, right? I mean, boys are not immune from body shaming. They're not immune from that at all. But, you know, as I mean, as a woman identified person, I that's just how we were all raised. Uh, you know, and talking about, I love that you talked about like how you handled that. Yeah. Different cultures, they're comfortable. You know, our culture, not, that's just the way it is. If you want to take your shirt off, fine. Right. Your, your daughter could have just been streaking, Yeah, you know, yeah. In, in that circumstance. Yeah. You know, if nudity is, is something that go Scandinavia because they see nudity as something that's normal, healthy, natural. They don't have any hangups about it per, per se. I mean, I, I'm pretty obsessed with the Scandinavian culture as a whole, like with everything they do. Okay. So (laughs) uh, I feel like they can do no wrong. I wish we lived there. I mean, I know that there's, you know, the grass isn't always green or whatever, but it is greener over there. So (laughs) let's just leave it. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. It is cold there. That's okay. I love being cold. I mean, we live in, we live in Connecticut. So we're, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not Canada or anything, but it's, it's cold right now. So (laughs) I can deal with it. (laughs) Yeah, they do. They really do a really great job, especially around sexuality. They're Mm -hmm. just just kick ass. Yeah, just kick ass for sure. They really do. All right, let's do like one or two more here. And then I'm going to ask you some other questions that I usually ask my interviewees. So here we go. Uh, What to do when kids hear things at school, but aren't mature enough to understand? Yeah, that's a bummer. So if you know they've heard something and, well, I'll give you an example. A a, a kiddo, he was 10, I think, came home from school and ran upstairs and dropped his backpack and then came right back down, which wasn't typical, his mom said. And she's in the kitchen. I think she's like washing dishes or something. And he comes up to her and he says, mom, what's a BJ? And she's like, (laughs) (laughs) "Eh, drops everything. (laughs) 
pops everything. Dinner's on the floor. Right. Dinner's on the floor. She's standing there. Anyway, so she said, she said, I took a big deep breath and she'd been using me for a long time. I said, I took a big deep breath and I said, where did you hear that? And he said, some boys at school on the playground. And then she said, "Uh, what do you think it means? And he said, I don't know. Is it a sex thing? And she said, yes, it is. And then she very simply explained what it is. Now, this is a kiddo that knew all the things, right? Mm-hmm. So he was sex educated. And so she just very simply said, you know, BJ is short for blow job, which is slang for oral sex. And that kind of oral sex is when one person puts their mouth on another person's penis. They do it for pleasure. They agree to do it. It's not something you ever have to do. And it's definitely not something kids do. Mm-hmm. And she said, any questions? And he said, no, mm-hmm. gross, and walked away. <laughs> so when your kids come up with something, you have to decide if it's something really adult-like like that, like if your eight-year-old says, hey, what's a blowjob? Then that is a red flag because some child has knows about that and is talking about that. So that means they've, again, porn exposed, probably been exposed. So you need to kind of trace it back. If they, you know, your eight-year-old says, what's a blowjob? You can say, you know, thanks for asking me. That's, it's just kind of a sex thing that people do together. It's not something, you know, kids do. And, you know, they put mouths on private parts and definitely not for kids. Thanks for telling me not trouble. Go find the source and make sure that child's okay. Yeah. So you can be really broad, right? Really broad. Mouths on privates, not for kids, not okay for kids, you know, like really clear about that. And because if you don't answer, what's what's that eight-year-old going to do? Google. You got it. And if you don't have (laughs) monitoring and filtering, what's she going to see? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Can you do that on, you can have that extended onto your phones, right? as well as any laptops, computers and things yeah, like yeah. that. There's a really great product called Bark, which I'll send you the link and you can put it in the show notes. Yeah. The thing that goes on your router and then it does, and it's an app, it monitors, which is watching where people are going and it filters and you can set up, I set it up on every, pretty much every device. So you get a ping if your kid Googles blowjobs, right? You'll get a ping. And they're red alerts and you know, you need to deal with something immediately. You can control their Wi-Fi access, all kinds of things. It's a really, really terrific uh, product. My friend, Lisa Honnold, that runs the Center for Online Safety, she highly, highly recommends it. So yeah, you know, it, you know, parenting, you know, it's just not easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And I always think to myself, oh, gosh, it's, it's so hard right now. It's it's physically exhausting, right? Having young, young children. It's just like, whew, my mind is like seriously spinning every single day of my life. And then I'm like, oh, but it's going to be so much harder. <laughs> like, I just mentally, you know, having these conversations and making sure you're staying on top because I truly think you need to even be more present, you know, as they're getting older, right? Like Mm -hmm. through their, through their teen years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Making sure. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I will tell you is if you do this now, you do this work now and you get them full up by the time they start middle school, then when they get to be in high school, you don't have to screen anymore. You can just talk about everything and you should, and you should show up as much as you can. And because you've established this relationship, you know, I've been doing this for 16 years. I have families, parents that come to me and say, I saw you when my kid was in second grade. She just told me that we've had all these great conversations. She just came out to me. She just, you know, she's all these things. And she, they say, you know, that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't heard you speak and been following you all these years and on all of that. So, you know, it really is a big payoff. It actually gets easier when you don't have to be so 
kind of careful, at least with this topic. It doesn't, it's different. It's always hard. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Everything is hard. (laughs) I know. I know. Let me ask you two questions. I typically ask all the guests I have on. So it doesn't have to be about the topic we talked about today. If you could give one piece of advice to mothers, what would it be? Oh, that's a that's an easy one. So when I was 21, I moved to Seattle from Ashland, Oregon, which is a little town in Southern Oregon. And our neighbors across the way were Carla and, and Robert. They got pregnant and I was at their birth. Or my best friend and I were at the birth of, of, of Kate, their daughter. And when Kate was about two, we're standing in the kitchen. I'm at Carla's house at their house, standing in the kitchen. And maybe she was three and she was whying at me. Why this? Why, 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 why? And I kept answering her and Carla looked at me and she said, Amy, you can say, because that's the way it is. And Hallelujah. I said that to her and she stopped whining me. So that is my <laughs> advice to you is to say when your kids are like, why can't I? Nee, 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 nee? You say, because that's the way it is. And then you stop talking and you let them do whatever they're going to do. So that is my number one. I have another really good piece of advice, but that is my number one piece of advice because that whying stuff is exhausting Yeah, and the whining because that's the way it is. And when they say why, you just look at them. <laughs> I'm not responding to that ever yeah. again. I, I already know. responded. Yes. I already responded. Yes. Leave me alone. Yes. Okay. If you could make one dinner for your family that is relatively quick and easy that everyone will eat, what would it be? Oh, God. Mm-hmm. I know. It's tough. Well, I am have a child who was eating raw oysters at four. Wow. Age four. Yeah. Impressive. So we didn't have any trouble with eating. Man. I, I honestly, I mean, I don't, I don't have trouble eating, (laughs) trouble feeding people. Um, let me think. Well, one thing that we eat a lot of is roasted vegetables, variety pack and, and sausage and potatoes, just all Mm -hmm. roasted together. Mm -hmm. Like a one sheet pan type of deal. Like you put them on there. Yeah. Yeah. Whack it all up. Keep the vegetables separate so people don't have to be weird about the, you know, broccoli touching the cauliflower, Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of olive oil. And then sausage. And if you know, y'all can have the spicy and then you can have the milder for them. And that's, that is one. But the real thing that I think everyone should eat is something we call the garbanzo bean crack, which I will send you the link and you can put it in the, you can put it in the show notes. It is this amazing, amazing dish that was invented by a chef who was doing a low carb thing and she just wanted pasta. It's tomatoes that are cooked down with, with garlic and a crap ton of olive oil and fennel seeds and think maybe some basil that gets totally cooked down. And then you put kale in it, in that tomato sauce and cook that a little bit. And then you put garbanzo beans in it. Oh, red hot chili peppers. And for, I don't know why, but it is like crack. Okay. You have no idea. This is like a gift to me because this week I started. So I am like, I don't, I'm not a believer in diets. I think they're terrible. No matter what diet it is, I just, I can't stand it and I never do any of them, but I do need to stop eating so much sugar. 
I mean, I'll go eat Twix like whenever I want, like all day long. So, so that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm kicking all that sugar and it's a nightmare for me. And I'm trying so hard to increase protein because I like to work out and I just need protein and I don't eat it and <laughs> just eat sugar. It's like so counterintuitive, but I feel like this recipe is going to be perfect. It's you ignore that half a cup of olive oil, put it in there. It is so good. Oh, I, I love olive oil is good. Healthy fat is good. It's yeah. healthy fats. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to want to share it with anyone. And that's, that's fair. Oh my gosh. I can't wait for you to send this to me. I'm going to make it this week. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. Will, I will send it to you. Yeah. We call it the crack. Oh my gosh. It's hysterical. <laughs> yeah, I wonder so, if my kids will eat it. I mean, my oldest eats might. anything, but yeah, they might, they might, they might. The fennel is, you know, it has that little licorice bit of flavor and make it less spicy, but they might, if you don't say anything to them, they might eat it. I mean, really the first bite of it is you, uh, you don't know what's happening to your body. That's I so funny. I know. Oh my anyway. gosh. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Well, thank you again for taking the time to talk with us about sex, because I think it's going to be immensely helpful for everyone. Yes. Yes. Hey, is it okay if I, I, I know this, like I said, this isn't enough time for people to get what they need. Yeah. So a real quick plug for my sure, solution center. Of course. So I have an online solution center and it's uh, basically 95% of what you need to really become their go-to sex talker, you know, their person, their go-to resource. And one of the things that I think that's in it that people tell me they love the most is that there's an age by age video that tells you exactly what they need to know at each age and stage. And it's really helpful because it's like a checklist. Yeah. And there's yeah, a bunch of other stuff. There's porn videos on porn and porn prevention. And then the other thing that I do with the Solution Center members that I don't do any place else is I have a monthly live QA and teaching with me. So I teach on a specific topic, like I think I'm doing pleasure next for 10 or 15 minutes. And then we just have open unrecorded Q&A. So we'll give you the link. And it's $69 a year, which works out to like 19 cents a day. I did a little, little used car salesman thing awesome. there. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll give a discount code too. So yeah, if this is not enough. And if you want to do a better job than your parents did, and you want your kids to have a really good sense of who they are as a sexual person and feel good about themselves and make better decisions, then this will help. Yeah, this is perfect. I'll put it in the show notes and link it and put the code in there and that'd be great. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks again, Amy. My pleasure. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.